0: Amen. All right. So this is part two to 20 leadership keys. This will be leadership keys 11 through 20. And of course, we give Dr. Barclay uh, the credit for them because these are his leadership keys. But he's a great leader. Obviously, he didn't invent these, but these are observations or things he's learned from being in the ministry for 40 years and being a Marine instructor and sniper before that in the Vietnam conflict. And so we're going to pick up with number 10. Just so we can, uh, I don't know if we covered that one or not, but we'll start with it because it's a good one. One of the things, again, I want to remind you of, when we teach this, do not hear these lessons for pastors. Don't hear these lessons for CEOs. I don't care if you're a 78-year-old widow, these lessons apply to you because every one of you is called to lead in some capacity or another. I picked the 78-year-old widow because you you think there's nobody, you know, of her, there's nobody left to lead. She's all alone. She's at the end of her life, relatively speaking. Her husband's gone. Her children are grown. What does she have to lead? She has much she can lead. Furthermore, she still has to lead herself. And so whether you're um, the high school captain of the football team or whether you're the president of the college or whether you're the shift manager the zone manager or the stay-at-home mom, leadership is for you. And so you have to hear these for yourself. I'm going to hear them for where I'm at, and hopefully you will do the same. And so though though, though these are coming from a minister and a marine and a drill instructor, you also have to realize these are principles that apply to everybody, the classroom teacher, whatever you may be in life. So look at number 10. Leadership is sharpened by adversity and the challenge of failure. One of the things we've covered many times in this church that I've observed, and it seems to be a spiritual law of sorts, that many folks won't ever rise up and lead because they're afraid of failing. And you have to recognize by now in life, your life is, is, is peppered with failings. It's part of life. And as soon as we can get over the fear of failing, we can go a lot further and a lot faster. You're going to fail. Everything that is a success in life failed a thousand times getting there. You think about the football team. How do you get better at football? You fail. You, you, you throw interceptions and you learn how not to throw interceptions. How do you learn to throw a football? By learning what it doesn't look like when you throw it. You know, that, that's, that's a wobble. That thing looked like a UFO. And then you learn how to do it. If we're so perfect-minded or so obsessed with perfection without the proper balance of understanding how you get there, you'll never want to improve or try anything new because you'll fail at it. And I think most folks, they, they get stagnant in their 20s and the rest of their life, is defined by as far as they got in their 20s. Because after you get 25, 26, you're no longer zealous and eager for more. You just kind of mellow out. And unfortunately, many folks in their 50s and 60s, they peaked in their 20s. Because the fear or the fearlessness dried up and now they're afraid of failing. And so that's why older folks never try anything new. They never take up any new hobbies. They never take up any new criteria or or anything because they're afraid of failing. And we've got to get over that. God is going to call you to do more things if you're going to truly walk with Him. And He knows full well in walking with Him and doing what He's called you to do, you're going to fail along the way. And He doesn't really care about that. He's just going to tell you, get up. If you need to repent, repent. Move on and let's go forward. But that's what uh, Dr. Barclay says here leadership is sharpened by adversity and by the challenge of failure. And the other reason folks won't lead is because it's hard, it's adverse. Well, in this life, you're either going to lead or you're going to follow. And I like following, but there's a lot more fun to be had leading. I like following, and I can follow really well. It's a lot easier than leading, but leading, leading has all the rewards. Leading has all the excitement. Leading has all the responsibility. Leading, you get to call the shots. And so sometimes we just have to acknowledge we would rather just have it easy and fail-proof. And when your life is easy and fail-proof... You're probably living in a romper room at the loony bin because you think about the lunatics in the romper room. Their life is easy and fail proof, except it goes nowhere. Now, one of the things we preach in this church over and over again is that your life is ordained of God to go somewhere to happen for him. To manifest the kingdom, to be God filled and glory filled and to do things that nobody else can do. Uh, One of the teachers that used to go to this church, he'd always teach about the turtle on a fence pole or fence post. And I've actually seen it, but something country kids do, they go find a a turtle or a tortoise and they put that thing on a fence post. And so if you're like me driving down the country road and you actually drive by one and you think that was actually a turtle stuck on a fence post, you realize, number one, he didn't get there himself. Somebody came along and picked him up and set him on this high place. So much that even at 50 miles an hour, you, you do a double take. That's, that's actually the example I've always heard preached. That was actually a turtle on a fence post. <laughs> and then you drive on down the road. <laughs> and so when you trust in God, he, he'll set you up as a turtle on a fence post. And everybody walks past your life will say uh, they had to do something special because that's not possible. Somebody had to come along and pick them up because a turtle cannot climb a fence post and then put its flat table of a stomach square on that thing and just sit there. Because now how is he going to get down? So that's how we're to live. But as long as you're afraid of failing and you want comfort, you're going to always be the turtle in the mud pie. And that's all right. But that's also 7 billion other people. So be, be encouraged to rise up and not be afraid of adversity and not be afraid of failing. I like failing because it means I get to do better next time. And you've got to like failing too. As long as you fail trying to do good, what's the problem? As long as you fail doing your best, what's the problem? As long as you fail knowing that there's better to be had, what's the problem? As long as you can look at this thing and say, you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to jump up and grab a hold of that bar, but I'm going to see how much it really does take. And maybe I hit it, maybe I don't, but I'm not going to cry if I don't grab it. And sometimes you attack things knowing you're not going to succeed the first time, but you're just kind of feeling things out. We really have to get over this fear of failing. It'll, it'll hurt your life. Number 11, leadership requires integrity, honesty, and ambition. Well, that's pretty simple. Leadership. If you're going to lead, you got to be full of integrity. Uh, Leaders who don't have integrity become cult leaders or dictators. Leadership without integrity becomes a cult. That could be a dad. You know, as a dad, you could run your home as a cult. You could run your home as a dictatorship. You know, when there's no love, there's no honesty, there's no apologizing to your children. That makes your home kind of like a little weird cult, the cult of your last name. Uh, or it could make it a little dictatorship. And I think every one of us at some point growing up felt like dad was a dictator. Or maybe mom was a dictator. And it was just hard, 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 hard. But there's got to be some integrity. There's got to be some honesty if you're going to lead. There's there got to be ambition. Now, that may be one of the greatest uh, qualifications or necessary ingredients to leadership is ambition. We'll cover that next week in our second lesson. I think our second lesson is called the basic leadership formula. But you've got to have ambition. Lazy people don't lead. In fact, Proverbs says they're so lazy they won't even lift their hand to feed their face. That's lazy. And you're so lazy you can't even get that spoon up there. <laughs> The Bible says also the lazy man won't even roast what he killed hunting. He just wants to have fun all the time, won't do the hard, dirty work. You know, hunting is the easy part. Letting the arrow go or shooting the gun, that's the easiest part. Drops the deer. Uh, The hard part is now gutting the deer, actually hauling the deer, gutting the deer, skinning the deer, deboning the deer, processing the deer, prepping the deer, cooking the deer. (sighs) Then you get to eat the deer. It's just easier to go to Walmart and buy something amen. So this thing takes ambition. And you have to be honest. You know, I honestly just say to yourself, I have no desire to lead. That's a good place to start. Even the alcoholic has to say, I have a problem. And you have to say, you know, I don't have an ambition to get up. I don't have an ambition to lead myself to the bathroom. I don't have an, that's why they make adult diapers. I don't have the ambition to lead myself and brush teeth, my teeth. And that's why Dr. James fits people with dentures. I don't have the ambition to get up and, and to get a job. That's why you don't have a job. I don't have the ambition to get up and go further in Christ, which is why you don't go further in Christ. So there has to be ambition and ambition cannot be taught. It's either you either have it or you catch it. But we, uh, you if you're not ambitious, you already know it. So how do we put it in you? There's no miracle spray. We can't lay hands on you and you catch the ambition. All we can do is warn you and exhort you and give you the promises and the, and the benefits of being ambitious and say a better life awaits for you in Christ if you could find some ambition. But some folks are just meh. And their whole life is just meh. I was talking uh, to somebody and we were trying to troubleshoot some issues in their life. And I said, I said, well, what are your hobbies? I don't have any hobbies. Why not? "Ah, They just don't interest me. What are you passionate about? "Eh, Nothing. I said, there's our problem. You're not passionate about anything. And if you're not passionate about anything, why do you live? What's the point of living if you're not going to be passionate about something? You cannot lead without some kind of passion. Nobody follows a tree in the forest except for if they worship in the devil or something. Because a tree in the forest has no ambition. But people are always looking for somebody that's passionate about something. And even more passionate than they are. And that produces a momentum that people want to run in behind and follow. But if your whole life you're just like, meh, meh. <laughs> Your life goes nowhere. You actually have to go with the currents of life. When you're just meh, nah, then, then the tides of life carry you. You're a jellyfish. Nah, nah. If the tide takes you in, I guess I'll go in. If the tide takes you out, I guess I'll go out. The tide takes you too far out, I guess I went too far out. The tide takes you too far in, I guess I'll just die on the shore. I'm going to sting as many kids as I can first, though. <laughs> so you got to get some ambition. Number 12, develop yourself so you can develop others. You've got to always be investing in yourself. Now, I know these are leadership principles. It sounds like motivational self-help, but they're, they're very much biblical principles. Which is why the world can do them and be so successful. And the church just wants to sing Kumbaya and study the Beatitudes for the 15th time and do nothing. They ought to call them the do nothing attitudes because though we study them, we don't ever do anything with them. But if you're going to do something for Christ, you've got to invest in yourself. Invest the word, invest prayer, you've got to invest fasting, you've got to invest money, you've got to invest uh, discipleship. If you're going to develop others, you've got to first develop yourself. How can you lead somebody in a place you've never been before? How can you teach your children manners if you have no manners? How can you teach your people about Melchizedek, your kids about Melchizedek, if you don't know anything about Melchizedek? You can only lead as far as you've gone, and you can only reproduce what you have. And so to that end, we are reproducing what we are, and we're going as far as we know, and that just may not be far enough. So you've got to constantly be investing in yourself and developing yourself. The world does this, and honestly, as it is, you're already developing yourself. You're already... Investing in yourself. The question is, is it worthwhile? You know, lazy people, I'm not against video games, but some lazy people, they just invest in themselves video games all day long. So they are investing in themselves. Some people invest in themselves another bowl of ice cream. Some people develop in themselves another hunger for pornography. Some people develop in their, in their heart a greed of money. So no matter what you're doing, unless you're in ICU and in a coma, you are investing in developing yourself in some capacity. But what we're obviously assuming here is that we're talking about Christian development, leadership development, productive development, God-centered development. You have to put this in yourself to be able to reproduce it in others. And so this may explain why a lot of folks, God, never trusts them to be over anybody because they've never fully developed themselves. We don't put our our toddlers over anything in this church. No, we're still developing them. We don't put our children's church kids over anything. If they help us, they help us under us. We rarely put our high school students over anything because, you know, they're still immature and, you know, doing their high school thing. You have to get to a place where God can put you over stuff. And, and as I tell you over and over and over again, if you've been in this kingdom five years, ten years, you ought to be over something by now. If you've been in the kingdom honestly, uh, as Pastor Shane taught us a couple years ago, showing the difference between First and Second Corinthians, you ought to be able to be put over something in two years or less. From the time you get born again to the time of leadership could take less than two years. If you really want it. Now it's evident not every Christian really wants it. They would rather just chase themselves or their own vain imaginations or live around self-pity or the past. But we see from an example where Paul said, when the time comes that I should speak unto you as mature, I can't. It's only about a two-year time from when he last visited them. Two years. It should only take about two years to get good basic doctrine if you're hungry for it. But we have to recognize that we, our life is just diffused by so many other hungers and appetites and heart conditions. Very few of us truly worship Jesus Christ with all of our heart. Uh, we worship Him with part of our heart, but we worship Mom with part of our heart. We worship Dad with part of our heart. We worship our past with part of our heart. We worship our job with part of our heart. We worship our vain imagination with part of our heart. We worship our bitterness with part of our heart. We worship our harvey with part of our heart. Oh, so, what part's left for God? Well, all you have to do is look at your life and you can see where the balance is. 13. A real leader never escapes leadership. It is a 24 7 job. 24 7. I recognized that when I came back from Bible school and I watched what Brett Scudder was doing around here. And I was just honest. I said, I don't want that, I'm too selfish. Then Pastor Vaughn passed away and we had dinner the day of his funeral or lunch and I said, I could never be a pastor. I'm too selfish. I don't want to have to live for everybody else. I got my own thing going on. This is honest. Wasn't married at the time. Just a single guy. Just set it at a table of about 30 people. Just honest. I could never. Like, how did he do all that? Well, that's why another reason many folks won't rise up to leadership. We still worship us too much. We still worship our time too much. We still fight for our stuff too much. And that's okay if you have no aspirations. It's going to be a shame, though, I think. And we're not against you time, and God's not against you having a yard and having a hobby or two. Or, uh, but I think it's going to be real embarrassing to get to heaven and uh, find out there's no rewards in heaven for you. you. know, My address is 820 Holland. If all I ever do is worship 820 Holland, there's no rewards in heaven for 820 Holland. And so we have to decide that we want to be more than just our family name or our address or our, our whims that we dreamed up as a 12-year-old kid growing up in suburbia. Maybe this, this principle here is why many folks refuse to rise up to be leaders because they look at leaders and they see how busy they are and they just, they're honest and say, that's not for me. I'm just too a little American for that. I'm just too little, just a little too selfish for that. And I'd rather just follow. And when I feel good about myself, then I'll step up and help the kingdom or help whatever. And when I don't, then I just won't. One of the things I recognize about my Muslim boss, he was uh, 31 when he became the Leader over the geotechnical d- division in our firm, and he pioneered our geotechnical division. He was 31 years old. I was 25 when he hired me, and I, I, didn't, I thought 31 was old when I was 25. And I look back and see how young 31 really is. And he made vice, pres- uh, vice president by the time he was about 33, but he worked 90 hours a week. He was a single man, but that's what it took. And that's what it takes at times to lead. It's a 24 7 thing. Get emails at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and traveling in Washington, D.C. and doing work and all over the place. That's what it takes. And I remember at the time saying, Not me. It ain't worth it to me. And you have to decide that for yourself. For me in the world, that's not worth it to me because I don't live for the world and live for my careers. But in the kingdom, we don't have that escape. We have to decide am I going to really live for Jesus Christ or am I just going to? kind of have a split life, you know. Some of my life is God, some of my life is me. But Jesus Christ did say, those that seek to save their life, lose it. But those who will lose their life for my sake shall find it. And so this is one of those things you just have to prepare yourself for. Leadership is a 24-7 thing. You don't escape it. And That doesn't mean you're always on call. That doesn't mean you're always up at the church or you're always on the, in the office. It doesn't mean you're always doing whatever thing you're leading. It just means you're always thinking about it. It's always a burden on your heart. Some people live for sex. It's all they think about. Some people live for food. It's all they think about. Some people live for their children. They're always thinking about them. When you're a leader, what you're leading, it never turns off. You're always thinking about it. You're always thinking about how to do it better, how to lead your home better. You're thinking about a better way to cook that meal next time for less money so you can save money in your household. You're always thinking about how you're going to do taxes better next year because you could get more money for your family. You're thinking about how you could be a better husband, how you can be a better wife when you're truly leading. But most folks, and and honestly, it's society and the world system, it's teaching us just to go, eh, and then be upset when nothing works out for us. Eh, it's actually pounding us down to nothing but a severe followship. But followship without any hope of leadership is not followership, it's slavery. And many, many Christians are slaves to their whims, they're slaves to their appetites, they're slaves to their mediocrity, they're slaves to their apathy. They're just slaves to meh. When God didn't make a single one of us to be meh, but to lead. Now, once again, we're not all called to be apostles. We're not all called to be CEOs. We're not all called to be presidents of a firm or a nation or a club. But we all lead in some capacity. We lead ourselves to prayer. We lead ourselves in the word. We lead people to Jesus Christ through salvation and evangelism. We lead our bodies away from food and into a a disciplined appetite. We lead ourselves at the very least. But sometimes that's just... nah. But now we do know how to lead. We know how to lead ourselves to television, lead ourselves to the theater, lead ourselves to spend more money. We know how to lead ourselves. We know how to stir up a worry wind in our heart and mind. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you led yourself there. Or you can lead yourself out of it if you want to. Amen. All right. These principles are just so wonderfully wonderful. Number 14, stand on principles, not practices. You stand on principles. Uh, if you stand on practices, if practices change or can't work, you fall apart. But if the principle is uh, we want to be reverential in service, well, well, then it doesn't matter what that looks like. The heart of the matter is we should say stand on the matter of the heart and not just practices. If all you do is legalistically perform the practice, you may miss the heart of it and do the wrong thing at the the right thing at the wrong time, making it the wrong thing. So you have to stand on the principles not just practices practices do change they shift in seasons and so you know even in this church we have prayer we have multiple prayer services every week and each one of those prayer services have different practices and so what we do is we find the principle of the prayer service the principle of the prayer service is we have a leader we have about 3 or 4 different prayer leaders around here depending on the prayer service throughout the week and they lead but we're praying for different things Tuesday prayer, we pray for the church and all of our outreaches from this ministry. Wednesday, we pray for the nation and the American church. Thursday, we pray for the region, regional governments, regional churches. Sunday morning, we pray for our services. Sunday night, we pray for our services. Wednesday night, once every two weeks, we have an open prayer. We pray for whatever. So the principle is prayer, but there's different practices we institute. If you get hung up on the practice, you may miss what God's trying to do through the principle. So hopefully you understand that. Do what is right not what is popular. Right now, even in the church, and that's my heart as a pastor, we're watching churches grow because they preach what is popular. And you can always draw a crowd when the crowd has a say. And there's all sorts of research and psychology that goes into studying what people's flesh wants right now. And it just makes it some of the most ridiculous services you've ever seen because we're, we're trying to grow the church based on flesh desires. When you try to grow the church or grow anything based on the desires of the flesh, it's going to be a carnal-based mission. And so what we have to do is stand on what's right, not what's popular. I, as a preacher, I want to be popular. But then I remind myself I want to be popular with Jesus Christ. And so we have to always stick by what's right. Some folks won't lead because they don't want to be right. They want to be popular. But if you haven't noticed when you're a leader because of popularity, uh, the, sh- the winds shift in what is popular and you'll be out of fashion next week and they'll find another leader. But right is always in style with God. Morality is always in style with God. So if you're going to lead, you do what is right. In, in the local home, You always stand for what's right. You don't have favorites with your children. You dispense judgment and justice and rewards equally. You don't try to be popular with your kids. That's one of the biggest pitfalls I see parents make with their children. I have for years. They want to be cool in the eyes of their kids. You're just so not cool, Dad. I wasn't called of God to be cool. I was called to be your dad. And so we see a lot of bartering and psychology yeah. One of my maxims I wrote is that children are not diplomats. Quit trying to negotiate with them. I have family members that when their kids blow up, they try to talk them down. You don't talk a kid down. You beat their butt. Does God ever talk you down? No. But like Pastor Vaughn taught us, we discipline our kids like we think God disciplines us. And so the closer a walk you have with God, the better a relationship you'll have with your children. God doesn't talk me down. I'm wrong and I can't negotiate out of it. And if I have a temper tantrum, he just disciplines me. Oh, oh, son, calm down now. Oh, son, he stiff arms me, splat. Get over yourself if you want more of me. Ain't no negotiating. No, it's really sad. My wife was telling me she read an article this week. This is how retarded our scientists have become. It's a, uh, a premise in search of evidence. The premise is spanking is no good. That's the premise they're basing things on. So now what they're saying, and they're trying to research and prove it. When you spank a child, you reduce the gray matter in their brain. Really? So how does the brain know the difference between that and a butt kicking contest? Or falling on their butt learning to ice skate in Michigan? So the, the premise is we got to do away with spanking, which is demonic because God said, spare the rod, hate your child. Sparing doesn't spoil, sparing hates, according to Proverbs. So they said, so the new the scientific line of evidence is spanking a child reduces gray matter in the brain. I, I really don't see how that works biochemically at all. And they say, but gray matter is critical for children to be able to control themselves so the hypothesis goes the more you spank a child the less they're able to restrain themselves that is called evidence or a premise in search of evidence that is called a hypothesis in search of evidence that's pretty desperate i'm 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 scientifically experimenting with this every day of my life with my girls and those scientists are idiots teetotal idiots. Amen. Amen. All right. Stand on principles, not practices. I mean, really, if you grow up in the Northwest or the North, you're ice skating. How many times do you fall on your bottom ice skating? Does that mean the more you fall, the the less you're able to skate because you can't control yourself because skating takes so many motor coordination skills that require control, but you can't because you keep falling down? And yet, they produce the best hockey players in the world. You know, Minnesota, you know, they produce the best. It's retarded. Sheep, here's a little bullet side point. Sheep don't slop around, but pigs do. Sheep don't slop around in sin. Sheep don't slop around, but pigs slop around. So we have to ask the question are we sheep or are we piggies? We want to be sheep. Number uh, 15, a true leader cares for his troops. So whatever you're leading, you care for it. You take care of it. There's discipline, sure. There's corporal punishment, sure. There's demotion, sure. But you ultimately care for them. The reason you demote somebody in a teamwork effort is because they're hurting the rest of the team and you care for those other troops. You don't isolate them because you have a disagreement with their personality. You have to demote them because it's hurting the rest of the team. You spank children because they're being unruly and they're hurting the household, but you do it out of love. You demote somebody on the job because they're hurting the mission. They're hurting the, the bottom dollar. They're wasting money. They're, they're. In my business, I always saw certain project managers just totally waste the budget on stupidity. That hurts the bottom dollar. We don't get promotions or raises at the end of the year because you cost us all of the the markup. So you demote them or fire them, not because you hate them, but because you've got to preserve the rest of the troops. So a true leader cares for his troops. A father cares for his children. He'll do whatever it takes to make his children the best. A boss cares for his employees. He'll do whatever it takes to care for his employees and grow his business. A mama cares for her kids. She'll do whatever it takes. And sometimes that means there's little of you, but that's a true leader. You know, you think of any leader in the military field, they're up late planning strategies. You think of any CEO, they're they're up, they meet with everybody to make sure that even the new hire down in the mailroom has a paycheck. They care. And this is, again, why some folks don't aspire. Their appetite and hunger for promotion peaks. And they say, you know what? This is enough. This is all I would need the rest of my life. All right, well, there's 60 more years left in your life, and this is where you're stopping. This is where you're stopping. Stopping. It's quite evident the Antichrist does not want people to lead because he's teaching the world to hate those that are prosperous. It is evident the Antichrist doesn't want you to lead because right now we have this strong sense in our culture that those that work hard, those that get ahead, those that prosper, those that make themselves wealthy through hard work, they're wicked and evil people. And therefore they're the one percenters, and us, the 99 percenters, the little ones, oh, we need their wealth. It should just be given to us. You probably more yielded to Antichrist than you realize, because you stopped hungering for more when you were 28. And that was all the work of the spirit realm and the spirit of the world. You don't have a right to quit until you take your last breath. You don't have a right to stop desiring more of God or more of what he has until you take your last breath. And even that last breath, that's still a promotion. But sometimes it's just easier to let flesh be God and let comfort and convenience be God. That's not leadership. A true leader cares for his troops. When you truly care for your troops, whether that's your children, your wife, your employees, the folks on your soccer team, football team, Uh, the folks on your praise team or your sound team or whatever, you're under your departments in a local church or on the job, if you really truly care for them, you really have to diminish yourself. And that's what fights leadership. You can either lead the God kind of way or lead by stepping on people and using them as sled dogs to pull you to victory. But if you'll take care of them, it'll glorify God. So there's no room for selfishness really in successful leadership. Which again is why so little people, so few people actually lead. Number 16, leaders are not the standard, but they do hold the standard up. In the local church, the pastor is not the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. In our departments, the department head's not the standard, but they hold the standard On the football team, the coach or the the captain, they're not the standard, but they're supposed to embrace the standard and hold the standard. We would hope our government and political leaders, we know, thank God, they're not the standard, but we would hope they would hold the standard of the Constitution rather than being lawless reprobates. They're not the standard, but they're supposed to hold the standard. And truly, the more you hold the standard, the more God will promote you because he's looking for living standards to walk around for people who are too lazy to actually read the standard they can look at you and see it lived out in front of them the closer and tighter you hold to the standard not just know it but live by it the more god will see fit to promote you into higher leadership positions don't mistake knowing for actually doing well, well I know I know I know this is standard that doesn't mean you 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 embrace it. It doesn't mean you personify it. Like we taught a few weeks ago, there are those that believe the word and there are those that do it. There are those that know the word and there are those that represent it. And God is looking for doers and representers, not just knowers and believers. So the more you do and represent, the more God will put you in leading positions. All right, 17, good leaders show the way. We don't just, uh, good leaders don't just say, do it because I said so. They actually show the way. And they, they, they take time to hold hands with people and walk them through stuff and walk them through stuff and walk them through stuff. It takes a lot of time. If you're not willing to do this in your home, you're not going to have a good home. If you're not willing to do this on the job, you're not going to have a good job. If you're not willing to do this with yourself and show yourself the way. Again, here, according to Daniel, we live at the end of the days where knowledge abounds. It multiplies. And any one of us, before this set of services is over, you could get on Google and sound like a veritable expert on any subject. Just hop on Wikipedia for any, any topic, and in the next hour, you could study that article. And at the end of service, just for the time frame, stand up, and we would think you might have a PhD in that subject because you were able to read an article five times in 45 minutes and regurgitate it. That doesn't mean you know anything about what you just read. You could likewise do the same with budgeting. You could likewise do the same thing with health care. Just because you know it doesn't mean you do it. Isn't it ironic that you could have an accountant who had, they were a CPA with an established firm, but they were bankrupt. Isn't that ironic? Or you have a mortgage investor broker guy who's broke. Or like the doctor I met in Mexico smoking cigarettes. What What kind of doctor are you? Pathologist. So you look at cancer tumors? Yeah and you're smoking. Yeah. You do see the irony here, sir. Yeah. I said, well, the good news is you'll be able to identify your own cancer when you get it. How many of us are spiritual pathologists and we're smoking spiritual cigarettes? So sometimes you got to learn stuff and then show yourself how to do it. Oh, so this is how you go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. This is how you have a budget. Let's make a budget. So this is how you witness to somebody. Let's go witness to somebody. And not just in this day of massive knowledge, Google, Googleplex, which is a big number, a Googleplex, which is where they get the term from, a Google. Just because you have a Google amount of knowledge available to you, uh, show yourself how to actually do it. And then once you show yourself, then you can show others and folks will begin to lead you. But we do, too much of the time, act and rest on our head knowledge, not realizing that God rewards us according to our works and what we're doing. Eighteen, a good leader is the glue who keeps his team together. Mom and dad should be the ones that keep their team together. Dad should be the one that keeps his marriage together. The pastor is the one that keeps the church together. The department leader is the one that keeps the department together. The youth leader keeps the youth group together. The, the manager keeps his team together. The, the CEO keeps his company together. When Steve Jobs was dying of cancer, they kept all of that cancer stuff very secretive because they knew how much it affected the stock price because Steve Jobs was the visionary behind Apple. And so when he died, there was great concern on, based on this principle. If he's the glue, he just died. What are we going to do? And actually, their prices, their stock price did dip for several years, and now it's back swinging up again. But a good leader is that glue. If you're not keeping people together, you may not be a leader yet. Because we know there's leaders that glue the team together, and then there's the strife and discord that try to pull it apart. We want to make sure we're the leadership that helps pull a team together. 19, until you master following, you'll never lead successfully. Now, that's okay for some folks. They don't ever int- intend to lead. But until you learn how to follow, until, until you learn how to uh, take orders and for your boss, uh, honestly, being a yes man on the job is the quickest way to be promoted because you get paid to be a yes man. As in, yes, sir, I can do that for you. Can you go get me coffee? Yes, sir. I need you to run this errand. Yes, sir. I need you to print this. Yes, sir. Uh, only the arrogant people that I ever worked with said, I-, I have a degree in engineering. I have a degree in geology. I don't have a degree in getting you coffee. All right, no problem. Who will get me coffee? I'll get you coffee. You get paid to say yes. Now, you don't get paid to just blindly follow, but you get paid to do the job. I even come in here this morning. There's a bunch of stuff left out in the parking lot from the construction yesterday. And I said, well, you know, it probably was late or something. They missed some stuff. So I started asking, is the cleanup team here yet? They're not here yet. So I said, well, who is here? Who among the youth is here? And they said, well, this youth is here. I said, go tell him to go out there and pick that stuff up. And so they said, all right, I'll do that. So then I ran into that youth just 20, 30 minutes ago. I said, did you pick that stuff up? "Um, No, sir, but so-and-so told me to, but that's not my job this morning. I said, well, what are you doing right now? Well, nothing. I said, in the future, when somebody asks you to do something, just go do it. That's what makes you a servant. They said, well, the cleanup team just got here. I said, I didn't wait for them. I wanted you to pick it up. So, you know, with that young person, I think I'll never ask them to do anything else. What's the point? Just excuses. They're not learning how to follow. And so you can learn how to follow. You're never going to be able to lead because you don't know what it takes to lead because you've never understood the other end of leadership called followership. And so even on the job in corporations, it works this way. The person that always complains, you don't ever give them anything it's not worth the effort. You give it to the person who's so eager. What else do you have for me to do? And, you know, you start to use that person over and over again. And then you say, you know what? Why do I keep them so low? They are too valuable. They have my heart. They understand what we're doing in this corporation. Uh, They understand what we're doing as a household and as a family. I'm going to give them more responsibility. And that becomes promotion that becomes leadership. And just by following and by obeying and and walking out orders and commands and being a servant, you automatically get caught up into this thing called leadership. And so you're still being told what to do. Even though I'm the leader, I'm still told what to do on a regular basis. But now you have other people under you with which to command and accomplish stuff. But until you learn how to follow, you're never going to be able to be a great leader. And if, you're, if you haven't even ma- mastered followership yet and you're starting to boss people around and, and try to lead them and steer them and spiritualize, guru them, you're really going to hurt your life. Can you imagine? Uh, uh, picture me real quick. I'm working for a Muslim Pakistani geotechnical engineer. I'm the new geologist. I won't follow him, but I like to go behind him and boss his people around. How is that going to fly? Especially if I start invoking, his name as Bobber, if I start invoking Bobber's name. Hey, Bobber said you need to do this. How quickly will that get back to the real Bobber? And how quickly will I be looking for another job? But if I can just say, yes, sir, I Bobber, I'll get you coffee. Yes, sir, Bobber, I'll run that errand for you. Yes, sir, Bobber, I'll make those coffees for you. Yes, sir. Yeah, and on top of everything I have to do as a geologist, then he's going to say, that McMichael kid, man, he just, he's just such a hard worker. Why am I paying him so little? which is actually what he said one time. Why am I keeping him so low? Let me promote him. Let me encourage him to go get his PG so I can use him more. I'll pay for it. You have such potential. When's the last time? See, fellowship lets people recognize your potential. But honestly, even as leaders, you look at folks and you think, man, they don't got any potential. (laughs) But you can develop some if you want to. All right, you guys are so quiet. 19. Until you master following, you'll never lead successfully. 20. Wrong never breeds right. Wrong, wrong never breeds right. So as a leader in your home, a leader over your body, a leader over your mind, a leader over your appetites, a leader over the last name and all the people that have your last name, a leader over your team, a leader on your department, a leader over your line on the job, a leader over three people or 3,000 people, wrong will never produce anything right in that situation. If you're wrong as a leader, you got to go back and make it right. If you're wrong, you got to go back and repent. If you're wrong, you got to go back and clean up the messes. If you're wrong, admit you're wrong and the people will trust you more. But wrong never breeds right. So don't try to cover up wrong with more wrong. It's just going to come home to roost and the eggs it hatches are going to be horrible. So you got to go back when you recognize you're wrong. Most folks will realize you didn't mean to be wrong. You just were. And maybe they could see it, but they realize you did it with the best of intentions. They won't think anything of it. They'll think more highly of you because you admitted you were wrong. You can go further with greater trust. So our final point on these two lessons is wrong never breeds right. So avoid underhanded techniques. We preach heavily against manipulation and witchcraft around here where people try to underhandedly control folks through their words and their emotions. And a lot of folks in America, they have mastered the emotional, uh, what do you call it, travel agency because they try to put people on guilt trips. And they try to control them by making them feel guilty. Until you learn how to avoid and being suckered into the emotional guilt trip, you'll always be manipulated. Sometimes you gotta learn to tell folks, and I've done this numerous times, it's fun. I say to family members or whoever, I'm sorry, I just took a vacation. Interrupt the conversation. I'm sorry, I just took a vacation. "What? what? "Well, Well, I just took a vacation. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, it seems like you're trying to sell me on a guilt trip. And I'm not coming. So look, I got obligations. I got my own family. If you want me to come down to Atlanta, 75 hits 111 at Chattanooga, you can come up north. But I'm not coming down there. I've already been to Atlanta twice this year or whatever the situa- your situation might be. But don't be manipulated. And as a leader, don't manipulate people. Just say, look, I need you to do this. If you can, you can. If you can't, you can't. Do it if you want to. If not, I'll find somebody else. Can you do it for me? Wrong never breeds right. So make sure you keep your heart full of integrity and honesty. You don't lie, manipulate, or beguile people, and you'll go on for Jesus. These are 20 principles. Even if you're a single person, you still have to lead yourself. Father, we thank you for these lessons and these principles. Father, we thank you that leadership is true, whether we're in the world, in the home, or in the church. Lord, you are God supreme, almighty. You are the ultimate leader. Jesus Christ, you are, the, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You would, are what we'd call the leader of leaders. And you've called every one of us to lead people to Christ and every one of us to lead ourselves into a deeper walk with you. So even if we're single with no family or job on the horizon, you still called us to lead. Help us to be right in our leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.